0: Hey, so we're starting this series, this brand new series, uh, How to Survive the Holidays. Um, the video was playing, and I don't know uh, which of those uh, scenes maybe resonated, but for me it was the, the person slugging the coffee, like looking at a computer and just like going after it. Uh, and the reason we want to do this series on How to Survive the Holidays and Keep Jesus at the Center, which by the way, uh, are the holiday survival guide, How to Survive the Holidays and Keep Jesus at the Center. Um, and some people, you know, you're like, holidays, it's Christmas. Okay, cool. Um... I'm not particularly like word specific, but you get what we're saying. Um, in fact, if, if you're like, no, we got to keep Jesus at the center. I'm like, hey, maybe if we kept Jesus at the center of our life all year long, we wouldn't have to make that distinction. Anyway, just, I'm really good at like witty responses, by the way. Thanks, DJ. I appreciate that, man. I got a couple snaps. The reason we're doing this is I was really interested because holidays are, are really, really interestingly paradoxical. Um, And before we really hop into that, let me pray for us for our time together because I want to unpack a little bit about what happens underneath the surface behind that holiday. So Jesus, I pray that you would speak to each and every one of us, no matter where we are in our relationship with you. For those of us who just walked in to a church for maybe the very first time or the first time in a long time. Not really sure if you're there, not really sure if you exist, not really sure what's going on. Or for the person who has been faithfully following you for years and years and years and years that you would do what you always do, which you would speak to us through the power of your Spirit and your Word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the thing I think is really fascinating, personally, about the holidays is it is this, this weird, interesting, paradoxical relationship. Um, it should be the time of year where it's like the most happy, the most joy. Uh, I don't know if anybody is knee-deep in Hallmark movies yet, but we have a nice little streak going at our house. we watch plenty of them. Um, I can give you some recommendations after if you're looking for some. But this this kind of like fun, joyous, light uh, time where we celebrate something honestly ridiculous. I mean, it truly is ridiculous, the fact It's ridiculous, but it's not to us because of the fact that we exist in the context that we're familiar with this. But if you think about this, God, I mean... God, like God of the universe, like God who created, God who sustained, God who is who is more than we can imagine, which means as soon as we begin to imagine the scope of God, we have then limited God and he is far beyond that. That God became not just like descending on the clouds like he will someday, but he came in the form of a baby. Uh, our kids are five and seven, and not too long ago they started getting um, their started to lose teeth and Rhodes came in with his very first loose tooth and he runs in and he's like dad 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 it's morning time I'm like bro it's not 7 a.m. yet what are we doing he's like dad 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 look I got a wiggly tooth and he starts wiggling his tooth and it was funny because I heard that and I'm thinking you know what's crazy King Jesus had a wiggly tooth you ever think about that just like, like King Jesus, God of the universe, walked in one morning, maybe to his, his mama, and said, Mom, I got a wiggly tooth. But, but we celebrate the fact that God did not stay in obscurity, that God actually came down, made himself known, dwelt among us, tabernacled among us, as John chapter 1 says, and now we know God because of Jesus. And while that's true, and we celebrate that, me the holidays are stressful. The holidays are stressful, and for a bunch of different reasons. They are stressful because of money. They're stressful because of our financial margins are kind of strapped. They're stressful because we're busier than ever during the holidays. They're stressful because oftentimes we have to deal with and interface with more um, strained interpersonal relationships or familial relationships. They're perhaps difficult because we're struggling with loss or someone who's not there or we feel lonely. There We struggle with them because we don't live up to the idealized version and perfection of kind of the Norman Rockwell Christmas. And anybody who's over 35 gets that reference. If you're under 35, think your coolest Instagram, you know, influencer that does cool, you know, Christmas stuff, right? But it's this kind of like look of perfection of what Christmas is going to look like. And it becomes really stressful. And the reason I wanted to talk about this, and the base premise for this entire uh, rest of the, the the several weeks that we're going to go through is this, is if this were just stuff that we dealt with with Christmas, that we would just deal with it for a month and be done with. What I find is interesting is none of these things, none of these problems that we experience in a heightened version during Christmas are new to Christmas. They're all simply revealed during the Christmas season. That is to say, none of them, none of us walked in and we're like, man, I have been living with incredible financial margin for the longest time and I have a wonderful savings and I have a wonderful level of generosity and, and I'm walking in here because of the fact that I'm just stressed because I have so much margin in my life. No, it's because of the lack thereof that we then feel stressed during the holidays. In other words, it pre-existed the holidays. But what happens? The holidays just add to it. Same thing happens with time. When was the last time you asked somebody, how you been? And they didn't say good because they didn't want to say anything else or busy. Or they said both. Good, busy, you know. And you just say, yeah, yeah. I don't even like to say busy anymore because I'm like, that's like saying I breathe air, right? Like, I mean, it's just that that's kind of what everybody is. That's where everybody is when it comes down to it. We haven't maybe dealt with the loss of someone that we love, and so the holidays brings that up. Maybe we have, but it just brings it up in a new way. There's relationships that we have to interface with. I mean, all kinds of stuff. The. Dr. Zoda, the the therapist I see, he's phenomenal with these little little illustrations. In fact, I want him to come give one of these sermons at some point, because he has this illustration of of water in a phone booth. And he says that what happens, in fact, this is kind of what happened during COVID, he would say, is that, well, let me say this, if you're under 30, there's this thing called phone booths. You may not be familiar with them, okay? We didn't have phones. If you were cool, you might have had a beeper at some point, Right? But you had to like go to a place, close the little door, put in a quarter. At some point, they made it $0.35, cents, which, I mean, come on. No one carries change, especially two types of change, right? And so you put in a little thing. You call the person, hey, I'm going to be late because there's no cell phones, and so you just stop there. He says, he says that stress is like water in a phone booth, that what happens is all of us have a level of stress, and stress in and of itself is not bad because stress just kind of makes us feel a little bit of pressure. The problem is, is that many of us live, if, if it's water in a phone booth, we live about to our neck or to our ears. And so, as soon as something else outside of our standard norm gets introduced into the equation, all of a sudden the water goes over our head. That's why it's stressful. None of this stuff is new. All of this stuff is simply revealed during Christmas time. And it's stress that we feel, if we're being honest, internally and externally, intrinsically and externally. In other words, We feel a sense of pressure internally to perform, to be, to do, to be productive, to provide, to have a healthy family, to have healthy relationships. We feel the internal stress to this, but we also feel a lot of times an external expectation of this. And so it's the rapid pace that we run, as well as the outside opinions that we care about and that we hold. And what does all this create? It creates an incredibly stressful season. And we sit back and we wonder, well, why isn't Jesus? Why do we have to focus so hard to keep Jesus at the center? And the problem with that, to be honest, is that makes us feel another weight. That makes us feel like, Okay, so I wasn't doing enough already. Now I also feel guilty because of the fact that I haven't honored Jesus well enough in this season. And so if all the current things that I have, of all the current stressors, if my crazy uncle or my wild aunt or my brother who I'm going to see or the packages that I can't quite pay for and Amazon keeps showing up somehow, right? If, if I have all of that, then the problem is, is on top of that, I also feel like I disappoint God. And what's interesting... What's interesting is Jesus actually spoke into this dynamic. He spoke into a context where people felt this internal drive to prove themselves, to validate themselves through how well they obeyed, how well they were religious, and how well their moral upright and upbringing was. And On the other side, the Pharisees, the leaders of the law, they put this external thing on top of them. And there's a number of cities that, the, that Jesus went to and he performed miracles and they wouldn't turn and they wouldn't follow him. They wouldn't repent. They wouldn't follow him. And so Jesus begins to teach his disciples and then he prays at some point And in his prayer, he reveals this really incredible window for us. That's the anchoring point for this entire series to say, how do we deal with this internal? How do we deal with this external? How do we deal with this stress as it rises? This is what he says. In the book of Matthew, chapter 11. Starting at verse 27. So he's in the middle of a prayer. He's already thanked God, and he says, verse 27, I th- All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now, here's basically why that's relevant and important to this. He's saying, Okay. I know God. Jesus is saying this. I know no one's in here is shocked. Like, what? He says, I know God. God knows me. And in fact, in some ways, I am God. God is me. I know God. God knows me. And the only way that you can know God is if I allow you, if I show you, if I bring him to you. Here's why that's important. It's only an act of Jesus that we know Jesus. To contrast that, Many of us know of God. We know about God. But when he's calling to me, says, saying, no, no, no. No, I want you to actually know me. I want you to actually be with me. I actually want you to spend time with me. I actually, I want this to be not just ethereal, but personal. And then, by the way, I'm going to do a massive work in that. So verse 26. So come to me, all who two things labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So he says, come to me. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Let's kind of put a pause on that one. It says, come to me, all who." two different versions, labor and heavy laden. Labor and heavy burden. Um, this, the idea of labor, it's interesting. Our, our labor is, we would probably all say that we labor, right? My kids take the cereal bowl into their kitchen, and they're like, oh, why do I have to do everything? I'm like, I don't like you. What he's talking about is this interesting form of labor. The the Greek language had a a much more robust idea behind this. This was the tired from work that you've been working so hard and doing so much that you wake up feeling exhausted almost like you've been beat up. I'm not going to ask who in there feels that right now. But for many of us, man, it's just like we're going so hard. And this idea is, is that who have labored, there's something internally driving us to do, to create, to achieve, to do, to create, to achieve. And he says, from this internal motivation, we can be so busy. We can do so many things that we feel like we have to produce that we, in fact, just exhaust ourselves with all the things that we're doing. He says, so if you felt that, you felt that. This isn't a point of condemnation. He says, this is a point of good news. So if you felt like you walked in and you're like, man, I am just exhausted with life. I'm exhausted from trying. I'm exhausted from working. And honestly, I'm exhausted from working towards and for God because I feel like no matter what I do, it's never enough. This can all be true in a sense of productivity and jobs and key performance metrics and things like that. But you know what this is also true? Many of us right now are exhausted with God because we feel like we haven't lived up to his approval and we keep trying harder and we keep failing and so we keep being exhausted. Because You tried. And you're like, man. I feel like I've made jumps and leaps. I, you know, I I step on a Lego, and I didn't even cuss the other day. It was incredible. My sanctification. But they we do a bunch of stuff, and it just I feel exhausted. And to them, there was such this rigid moral framework that they had to do to make God happy. He says, come to me for everybody who feels like you're just exhausted because you've been working so hard and doing so much. And on top of that, you're heavy laden. You've been given a burden to carry. For their context, it was this. It was that not only did they feel like they had to do so much to to, to earn God's favor in obeying the law, it was on top of that the Pharisees had put additional laws, additional weight. You want to know what's the most exhausting thing? When you're already exhausted and someone else has an expectation of you and they feel like you haven't done enough. Whether or not they feel that, as long as we perceive that. Right? We walk in and, and you just spent forever cleaning your house, and somebody walks into your house and says, Bro, you don't clean? Uh, no, I do. I just punch people in the face for saying that, too, by the way. Right, when you feel like, not just internally, but there's this expectation. Here's what I say like, Some of you, you're going to go home, or this is your home, and some people are going to come, and, and, and you're going to be at your house, and and you've been working, and you've been doing, and you've been creating, and you've been loving, and you've been maybe growing in your faith. And you go home, and, and, and there's a bunch of questions that make you feel like you haven't done enough and that you aren't enough. They said, well, you got an art degree. What are you going to do with that? And you say, nothing, which is right. That's okay. Jesus loves you. You walk in, and, and, and they say, my parents didn't say this, but a lot of parents say this. My parents, if you say this, stop. Why are you still single? Uh, because that, that's my choice now. There's these little ways, nuanced and not, that create additional pressure that basically say we're not off. Because if we're being honest, if you look at all of the pressures and the stressors that we have, the essence, the essence of them is do more, try more, Be enough. Be sufficient. Whether that's an internal, I don't feel sufficient, so I feel like I need to go and do more and be there more. Whether it's I feel like I'm not really enjoying life, and so I need to go and do more and be more. Whether it's the fact that I feel like other people have this expectation of me. In essence, what it is, is I am trying to do stuff to prove myself. And Jesus says, okay, so come to me, all who are tired and all who have this sense of an expectation and who are just exhausted from it. And he says, and I will give you rest. What I love to do is I love to pick apart the Bible when it says stuff like that because that's interesting. I'm like, okay, so how does Jesus functionally give us rest? How does Jesus, in trusting in him, and believing in him, give us rest? So this is what he says. The very next verse. It says, come to me, all who, are la- who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He says, I want you to take my yoke upon you. I want you to learn from me. Now, uh, if you're familiar with the church world, then, then you know this, but if you're not, then this is maybe new information. Um, a yoke was this kind of like this wood contraption that would put on oxen, and they would oftentimes like, you know, go put it to till up the land. Most times it had multiple oxen that were on it, and they would go, and they would drive. And so what Jesus is saying in this is, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be yoked with me. To which, problematically, I think we would look at that and say, well, that still feels like another responsibility. What's interesting here is Jesus is actually saying, no, I'm your yoke. I'm your yoke, and I want you to take me on. Not just simply take another religious responsibility on. I want you to take my yoke, because my yoke is light. I want you to take me on, and I want you to walk forward with me. Now, there's two things that I think are significant in that. Number one is this. Jesus isn't saying to wear multiple yokes. He's saying we're already yoked. Not like yoked. Some of y'all like spring breaks coming early, boys. No, he's saying, he's saying we're already yoked with something. There's already something. There's already something like, like that thing, think about this. That thing internally that's driving me, that's stressing me, that's a yoke. That's a yoke. There's something inside of me that's saying go. There's something inside of me that says do. There's something inside of me that says wake up in the morning, go to work. There's something inside me that says earn, provide. Like There's some kind of thing inside of me that I'm already yoked to. So Jesus isn't saying do this in addition to. He says, no, no, take off of that yoke, and I just want you to think about being yoked to me. He says in this, and learn from me. And there's an interesting connection to that. Because what it means to have Jesus at the center is to defer to Jesus in all things, which is to say, Jesus, you are in charge of all things, which is to say, Jesus, I'm going to learn from you, live for you. It's the idea of discipleship. I know that's a lot of word salad, so let me make some you know, sense out of that. Let me give you an example. Probably one of the more difficult things that we're going to deal with in this series is relationships. Strained relationships. Difficult relationships. Difficult relationships. And what Jesus is saying is, hey, I just want you, to, I want you to take me on. So in a strained relationship, oftentimes what happens is you've been hurt by somebody. Somebody has done something to you. And there's the light kind, which is you know, the kind of the you know, roommate kind. You know, they stole the last bit of milk, and they didn't buy any new ones, and someone I'm going to you know, be angry at them. But there's a lot of it. That's actually really, really difficult and tough. I mean, for some of us, you have faced years of abuse. And the thought of taking on Jesus' yoke in that sense means the process of forgiveness, and that feels impossible. Let me just say this to start off with. Here's what it looks like to take on Jesus' yoke, and this is why it's so massive and important. Because somewhere, someone probably said to you, Well, just forgive them and just pray about it. Just pray about it and forgive them. That is good advice. You should pray about it, 100%. You should forgive them. But isn't that kind of minimizing? Wouldn't it be more helpful if someone said to you, you know what, you know that thing that you feel inside that someone has abused you for years? You know what that actually is indicative of? The fact that you feel like someone has wronged you. You're angry. Angry if shame is I am wrong. If guilt is I have done wrong. Anger is someone has done wrong to me. Which means if someone has done wrong to me, someone has actually acted unjustly to me. And God is a God of justice. Which means God is not happy that that has happened to you. That he wants justice for you. Now vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. But what that actually says is the fact that you feel like you've been treated unjustly and you're angry about it, that's the thumbprint of God. God is not happy that you were treated that way. But here's the thing about forgiveness. Forgiveness exists because as long as I hold on to that, it's hurting me. And that doesn't mean you get there in a microwave. What the gospel simply says is, I come to the realization, I wasn't forgivable, I wasn't good, I wasn't great, that if God can overcome the disparity that my sin has caused to and with and against him, what that actually means is that if it's possible for almighty God to forgive rebellious sinful Ben, then I have the ability with his spirit inside of me to over time forgive this person. Now let me ask you, after you have embraced and gone through the difficult work that oftentimes goes through the process of grief of forgiveness. If you're here and right now, the truth is is that you have some really deep-seated anger and frustration and bitterness at somebody. Imagine a place that you can get to over time, maybe over some counseling, through prayer, Where for the first time ever, you don't feel anger and weight and bitterness. That no longer has its claws on you. And for some of us, if we didn't have it, like we don't even know what life is like not feeling like that. But if you could imagine that, doesn't that feel lighter? Doesn't that feel more freeing? So he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to come to me, and I will teach you. I will show you. I want you to take off this yoke, this yoke of doing, this yoke of creating, this yoke of making yourself, of forcing yourself, and put on my yoke. Tim Keller talks about this, and he has this really interesting insight that I thought was was brilliant. He says, the essence of Christianity is not the laying down of sin. He says, it is, it is. But the essence of Christianity is laying down of doing to laying down our sin. In other words, I don't feel like I have to work really hard. I don't feel like I have to do all this stuff, that I have to forgive this person or else God's going to be mad at me. What the gospel actually says is this. It's that I know God is holy. I know God is pure. I know God in his holiness cannot have sin in his presence. I know I have sinned. You have sinned. We've all sinned. We just called it the Florida-Florida State game, right? Right? We hated our enemies. But honestly, that's a relatively justifiable reason. But, just kidding, by the way. What the gospel actually says is this. It's that, it's that perhaps, 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 we have all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. Perhaps there's this massive gap between us and God. And in fact, us and ourselves, we can't unsin ourselves. We can't moral ourselves. We can't be good people enough that the only way that we can get to God is through God because God died for us. That was a price that I could not pay, a gap that I could not bridge. And the guy who bridged that gap was God himself, and his name was Jesus. And now I live for God, not To make God happy with me, if I obey enough, God will finally be like, oh man, I'm finally proud of my son. No, I live for him because I am his son. He is happy with me because of what Jesus has done, and so I live to please my father. I don't do it because I'm like, oh God, do I have to? I do it because I say, God, I trust you. I actually believe what you say is better. I actually believe what you think is better. I actually trust what you say, and so I'm going to put active obedience and faith and trust in that thing. He says, and if you're wondering, if you're wondering, I want you to know, take my yoke, learn from me, try it. He says, I'm gentle. I'm lowly in heart. You don't have to worry about me being a God who's just going to hold it over you and press you and, and, and drive you. No, 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 I'm the God, to be really honest, who just wants to know you and be known by you. He says, listen, you will find rest for your souls. Can you imagine a holiday season where in the deepest place of who we are, we feel this sense of rest? And by rest, it doesn't mean, like, you're going to find a nap. It's kind of the other side. It's kind of like the waking up from. That you wake up and you're invigorated. You wake up and you have joy. You wake up and you don't have that same level of I have to do and to accomplish and to be in order to be good enough. And he ends it by saying these last words. He says, because here's what I want you to know. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now here's why all this makes sense. Jesus offers rest. Jesus offers a light yoke. Jesus offers from this intrinsic, extrinsic, internal, external drive to be enough that for many of us as Christians, we have lived our entire lives Still trying to be good enough for God. You believed in him for salvation, we just didn't believe the gospel for sanctification, which is why in Galatians, he says, are you foolish Galatians? Are you still trying to, to finish in the flesh what began in the spirit? In other words, quit trying to do it on your own. What I love about this last verse, it says, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light, that entire thing is conditional. You know what it's conditional on? Coming to him. Have you ever noticed... We try to keep Jesus at the center of our lives without spending time with Jesus every day in our lives. Think about that. Like everything he said, he says, "Man, my yoke is easy, my burden is light." I want you to learn from me. I want you to experience this with me. But he starts the whole thing by says, "Come to me, come to me." He says, "Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden." He says, "Okay, so here's the premise behind it. I want you to come to me. You gonna be honest?" The most difficult part in the holiday season is just spending time with Jesus. If we just did that, it would solve everything. The rest of this series are different ways that we can come to Jesus to counterweight or out, or counterbalance the things and the stressors that we feel to this world. I'll give you the whole series. We don't feel a sense of financial Freedom, because we don't live with financial margin, and God said generosity that when we give first, save second, and then live off the rest, that's actually how we feel freedom. We don't have that counterweight. We, don't feel, bu- we feel busy all the time because we don't have Sabbath. We feel relational tension because we don't actually forgive. We still feel the weight of loss a lot of times because we haven't actually taken time to process. Not realizing that Jesus Wept. So he says, I want you to just come to me. And all these counterbalances. Just different versions and variations of how I want you to come to me. Different ways that I want you to come to me. And to be honest, holidays are I mean, for me, I I thrive off of the same rhythms. I, I like structure to a degree, but I like some level of flexibility and freedom in it. But give me too much and I'm watching Netflix till who knows what time at night or the morning. I man, I was thinking about this sermon and I was praying about it and I was like, man, to be honest, like it happened multiple times this week. Because we kind of had the week off and kids were out of school. And I realized, I was like, man, it's been, it's been, it's been a couple days since I really spent time with Jesus. It's been a couple days since I really spent time in his word. It's been a couple days since I really spent time in prayer. I'm just being honest about that. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, man, the longer I go without going to God, the more weighty and heavy the entire world feels. But when I spend time with him, I rest in him, because this is what I realize, and this is it. With Jesus, because of Jesus, you're good enough. You're not, I'm not, we're not, we're sinful. But with Jesus, you are. Come on. What if you never had to do anything else to feel sufficient? What if if you never earned another dollar? If you never did anything productive? If your kids were crazy? If your life was a train wreck to know that you are simply good enough because of God in you. We wouldn't feel this internal drive to have the perfect Christmas because who cares? God says I'm good enough. I don't care what you say on Instagram. If I felt this internal drive to say, well, my parents don't think enough. Well, I don't care because I have God and he has declared that with Jesus I am enough. Well, you don't have a cool enough thing or a big enough thing or a fast enough thing. So you've got to earn more so you can have those things. Well, I don't care. I don't need those because if I don't have the God of the universe, then no car or no house or no country club is going to make me happy enough for that. So he says, here's what I want you to do. It's simple. Come to me. So here's the challenge that we're launching in, and here's the thing that we're gonna come back to every single week in different ways. What is one rhythm, one rhythm that we can adopt this holiday season, this Christmas season, that when we do, we'll just be going to God. Is it prayer? You just every day. Is it time in the Word? Just every day. Fasting? Maybe it's like once a week. You're just like, I'm going to fast this day to draw my heart closer because I want to come to Jesus this way. Is it, is it just going and spending time and being in, 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 in solitude? Or is it, is it that you're just going to go and you're just going to journal? Or you're just going to pause? You know what I think we should do at times? is just not even go with it, agenda. Not go read. Not go pray. Just go and take a deep breath and say, I am in the presence of God and just sit and acknowledge the weight of the fact that every moment of every day I am in God's presence. I want us to do this this holiday season, to every single day come to Jesus, because I'm convinced if we do that, we'll experience life. We'll experience how light his yoke is. Compared to the one that we were driving, that we were trying to be enough. And that perhaps for the first time, our souls will truly find rest. Because if we can do that in the holiday season, and come from a place of restedness, imagine, imagine what that same rhythm would look like and feel like in February or April. Imagine when the water in the phone booth kind of slowly goes down anyways. But we're saying, man, it's okay. Because I'm going to the one. I'm going to the author and the perfecter of my faith. I'm going to the one who has life, who gives life, and who sustains life. And I'm just going to him. So here's my question for you. I want you to think about it. Everybody take a second. Breathe. Okay. What's one way you can go to Jesus today? What's one way you can go to Jesus besides church because you're here, I get that. What's one way that you can go to Jesus today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day and for the next month? Usually I say, okay, will you be willing to for the next week because the honest truth is I don't feel like we're really spiritual enough to say like for the rest of my life I'm going to do this. I'm like, Jesus, I got about a week worth of willpower in me. Please make this into a rhythm. What's one thing, what's one way to go to Jesus today and every day for the next month that we are just simply coming to him, knowing him, engaging with him, interfacing with him because when we do that, I'm telling you, he gives us the motivation because I'm not forgiving because I think it's a good idea. I'm not even forgiving because I think that it actually is more helpful for me. I'm forgiving because God forgave me, and I believe if he forgave me, then anything is possible through Jesus. And it might be a long journey, but I'm committed to it. And in fact, it's his power who's working in and through me. So I'm going to pray for us in a second. I'm just going to invite you to take a second and think. What's that one way for you that you can come to Jesus today and tomorrow and the next? And if we do that, we will all gather around Christmas Eve. And for the first time, Jesus will have been at the center, not because we tried to incorporate him, because we know him. And he will make our burdens light. Let's pray. God, I pray and I ask that you can help each and every one of us to not simply acknowledge you, but to know you. God, many of us, we walked into this room and we are tired. We're tired from the exhausting pace of drive that we have internally, and we're exhausted from the external pressures that we feel, all of which tell us, do more, be more. But God, you've called us to simply know you. You've called us to simply come to you. And as clear and as simple and as easy as that is, God, we go to so many other things to find rest than you. Will you help us? God, would you give us the clarity to know what it looks like to come to you? Reading a chapter a day, praying five minutes a day, ten minutes a day. Two minutes a day for some of us. Spending time in your presence. Spending time worshiping you through music. Fasting, solitude. God, I pray that you would develop and build into us in these crazy busy seasons where the water feels like it's rising up. Will you show us how true your word is? Will you show us how coming to you centered us and only in you, Jesus, do we actually find rest because only in you, Jesus, are we actually enough. And God, I pray and I ask that at the end of this holiday Christmas season, we would be so committed to coming to you and knowing you every day for the rest of our lives. Would you give us the wisdom to see what it looks like to come to you today, spend time with you personally today? And would you give us the courage to continually come to you when days get busy and long, every single day, And that we would find rest, and we would be compelled to live for you, King Jesus. Because you are enough. Give us the wisdom to know how to come to you, and the courage to do it. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.